Welcome everybody to Revive Health Daily Briefing Live for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. This is our 30 minute review of the latest, most important news, resources, and advice for health system marketers and communicators who are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. I'm Chris Bevelo, health systems practice lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined by Chase Kleckner, who is senior marketing manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris, good to see you again. You as well. And we are joined once again by Jared Usri, who is Vice President Revive Health. For those of you who have missed Jared in the past, I'll give a little background on him. He serves in a strategy role here at Revive and has worked with dozens of healthcare organizations to sort through problems uh, referring to preference, retention, acquisition, all kinds of marketing related stuff. More than anything, he believes in marketing, being responsible for what consumers and patients want, but also for seeing what organizations can mean to people. Hello again, Jared. Uh, morning. How are uh, how are things up in Minneapolis this week? Beautiful right now. Just it is a beautiful time. We just started loosening our restrictions on Monday um, in a more significant way, so um, we're just slowly crawling back to normal. So that's good here. I have to believe Minnesota is the perfect state, approximately four months of the year, and it's like the best state in the country. And then the rest of the year, though, I, I, I question all of your decision-making capability because I just don't know if I could deal with it. It's very fair. And I think four months is probably right. I mean, April can be nice and it's really beautiful come October. So what's that? That's more like six. But you can also get snow in early May, certainly snow in October. So, you know, it's I'll say four to six. It is gorgeous here. It's gorgeous right now. Next six months. Welcome back, sir. Is this your second or third time on the show? Second with you, I got a talk with Jeff Spear last time, which was a fun experience in and of itself. Uh, and I'm also working on a net presenter score to compare you two over time. Oh. So we can, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It'll be great. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you might be the first to the to the five the five show mark, like on Saturday Night Live, where you get a robe or something robes oh that's a great that's a great tradition on snl it really is like Al, you get some good alec baldwin there it's good it's good stuff thank you that's yeah. a, that's a nice comparison all right we'll figure something out for you all right so we're going to dive in a little bit with jared on primary care um we'll also talk about uh, some resources we have for you we'll share what we're seeing and hearing across the industry we want to make sure this is an interactive forum as much as possible so if you have a question for jared or myself or chase throw that in the q and a q in the zoom uh, window you can also use the chat function in Zoom. Uh, you can use that to communicate with other attendees. Uh, Chase will also be using it to provide links for some of the things we're talking about. But if you've got a question for us, make sure it ends up in that Q&A queue. Uh, remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Search for Revive Health Daily Briefing Live. As always, we'll be posting a video recording of today's show on our website by the end of the day. You can find that at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19, where we also have other content, which I'll reference in a little bit. Uh, a couple more notes before we dive in. We are not experts on COVID-19, so not a place to come for medical or scientific advice or resources, uh, but we do have opinions on how marketers and communicators might want to manage the COVID-19 crisis. Just keep everything we say in the context of your own situation for your organization and your community, because obviously, uh, COVID is hitting all of us in different ways. So let's dive in. We've got a couple of news items um, today. <coughs> Excuse me. The first, as always, is we start with 
uh, a case count. And we do that just so we can keep things in perspective as we move through this crisis uh, and come down the other side, which we hope is a nice slope down and we stay down and we don't bounce back up or come all the way back up. Um, and that's part of what we'll be watching. We use the Johns Hopkins tool. And when I refreshed, we have globally a case count total of 4,946,175. So almost at the 5 million mark. And we are at 324,776 deaths globally. Uh, in the United States, we are now up to 1,532,974 confirmed cases and 92,149 deaths. So I don't know at what point we'll be approaching that 100,000 mark, probably next week sometime. We, we are seeing a, an overall decline now. I think we're down less than uh, an average of 1,000 or close to 1,000 a day uh, across the nation. So that's good to see. Um, I am going to continue a thread that I started on Monday accidentally. Uh, yesterday, I kind of called myself out for looking at the tool provided by Johns Hopkins in terms of the daily cases uh, and trying to estimate the slope of decline based on the graph, which is not the right way to, to estimate the decline because you can manipulate what a graph looks like to impact the slope. So when I say 20 to 30%, that's just based on the snapshot I'm looking at. If you if you started looking at the cases in terms of days or hours, or if you looked at it in terms of years, that slope would dramatically change even though it's the same data. Uh, I bring it up again today because I came across a story that um, shows you what can happen when people um, perhaps intentionally use visuals to misrepresent data. It's hard to believe that this actually happened, but maybe people have heard about it. Uh, the Georgia Department of Public Health has faced some criticism because they put out a graph of just what I'm talking about, daily case count, and they showed it across a number of counties. And when you look at the graph they used, it looks like it is sloping down. So in other words, as you go across the x-axis, it is lessening, so cases are lessening. Uh, what they don't call out, and which is almost impossible to understand why they would do this is, the, the days they use are not in chronological order. So they've essentially rearranged the data so that they start on the left of the x-axis with the highest count and go down to the right, but not chronologically. So if you looked at this, you would think over time, cases are uh, dropping. But if you look at the small detail and notice that you know May 5th comes before April 26th in the chart, you might go, wait a second, what, what's the purpose of this chart? Um, surely it could be to mislead people, right? Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into it, but I thought the there's a quote in an article, and Chase will post a couple links here from the spokeswoman for the governor of Georgia, and she tweeted this out, which I think is very hilarious. Quote: The graph was supposed to be helpful, but was met with such intense scorn that I, for one, will never encourage the Department of Health to use anything but chronological order on the x-axis moving forward, which is probably a wise idea. Why you would not use chronological order, I'm, other than to try to show something that's really not um, the right way to look at it, I'm not sure. They don't really ever give a, a reason other than they say it was an error. So I guess we have to take them at their word. Anything you want to add to that, Jared? I know you're a, you're a data hound, so I wonder what you think of all that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I guess I feel some sympathy for the poor analyst who was probably sitting, you know, like he had Excel open and he was like doing some sorts and he just kind of like thought this would be a cool way to show things. And I'm sure like it was innocent. I'm hoping it was innocent, right? It's like an innocent mistake that just like happens because it's sometimes it's just so easy to get caught up. And yeah, it just it's it's, it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to handle. Okay, uh, so Jared, you're a gen, you're a gen, um, gen Y, millennial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm a Gen X, which makes me far more cynical than you by generational nature. So I, I am not choosing to believe that was just a simple accident. I am more likely to believe that that was an intentional attempt to mislead people, given that Georgia was aggressive in reopening and probably needed to substantiate. All is well, nothing to see here. Um, but that's me. I'm cynical. We, we may never know. So it could be either way. We've now shown the difference in generations, like in real time, real example. Here you go for Daily Briefing Live. It's kind of perfect uh, for yeah. Uh, yeah, the conversation today, even. Yes. Okay. So we'll move on from that. Uh, I just thought that was interesting given the, the mistake I made interpreting visual data earlier. So uh, the other thing we want to do is remind you of some resources. As usual, make sure you check out our website, our communications hub for COVID information. Uh, and resources as at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. As I mentioned, you'll find recordings of this show. Uh, I think we're up to 46. This is our 46th one. Um, we also have content from our bi-weekly e-newsletters that we put out around COVID uh, related to marketing communications in the healthcare space. Uh, we also have a lot of resources uh, such as research reports, uh, information on rapid recovery. So a lot of good stuff there. And then two additional resources um, that we'll actually include is links to the show notes uh, and Jer uh, sorry, Chase will provide them right now. There's just a couple of really great um, studies on the impact of COVID on primary care, which is what we're going to talk about here. Jared, I know you brought these forward. Do you really want, you know, really quickly want to kind of touch on what each of these are uh, and why you found them valuable? Yeah, um, the, the first one um, I think we posted is this State of the Nation, and it's this huge 22,000 person nationwide survey. It's, it's significant in almost every state, uh, which is great because it can really give you a chance to understand how people are perceiving policy, but also channels and fears in your area. Uh, it's it's It was in by Harvard and Rutgers Northeastern, so it's it's solid and the methodology is great. Um, it's and it, it came out right at the end of April. So it's from the most recent uh, fully vetted that size of survey around. So I would say that's just a great pulse of COVID-19. Uh, we've been using it for some client conversations, especially trying to understand, you know, as we go into messaging that gets deeper into um, encouraging people and uh, kind of having that message, how many people agree or disagree um, with kind of the policies that are up front. And it's a great tool to kind of understand that as you kind of look at your health systems messaging. The other thing is uh, maybe a little more for this conversation is primary care. Uh, and COVID-19, it's um, been a survey that's been done by the Primary Care Collaborative for the last eight weeks, and it surveyed around 750 primary care clinicians. So it goes into what's the impact on your practice, how are you dealing with the problems, are you prepared, all those kind of key features. We'll, we'll talk about a little few of those stats inside, but it's a great survey to kind of keep up with over time, and I'm sure that's something that we'll always have, we'll have some good continuing insights as well. Yeah, they're both really good resources. And like you said, Jared, the first one um, has a lot of data in it that reflects what we found in our own research, um, but it goes a lot further than what ours does. So definitely recommend both of those. So let's let's go ahead and dive in uh, on, on primary care because we talked a little bit about this uh, Monday. Was it Monday, Chase? It was Monday. Yep, Chase it was Monday. 
Monday. Um, yep. Just kind of talking about how um, the the kind of perceived threat of new entrants pre-COVID, such as CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, might be stunted somewhat because of COVID and, and how we come out of it in terms of how people value relationships with physicians, how they might be willing to um, put convenience um, a little lower on their priority if, it, if it's sacrificing integrated care and that kind of thing. Um, today, I think we want to talk more about the impact of COVID on primary care as a model uh, and, and what we might expect from that. Because um, you've been looking at this, Jared, and have identified some some problems, obviously, and we're all aware of a lot of these, but I think let's, you know, diving in a little deeper will help us understand how marketing communicators um, can really help grapple with some of this. So, so let's talk just high level about um, the threat that COVID-19 has brought to the integrity of the primary care system in this country. Yeah, I um, I think when we look at that survey from the primary care collaborative, you see some really, I mean, shocking numbers in my opinion. Um, 70% of practices report a 50% drop in patient visits. Um, and unfortunately, only one out of two are reporting that more than half are reimbursable visits. So that just means the bottom line. And you think the staff that's involved in that from the nurses, the I mean, just everyone across the board at the practice level, um, that's going to have a pretty direct impact. But it also impacts, I think, a, a big piece of do providers feel ready? And, you know, they were also reporting things like not having enough PPE, uh, feeling they don't have full testing capability for patients, especially as they get into uh, patients who they're more worried about. Um, and then finally, I think that maybe the bigger threat, and I think we probably heard this at the health system level, if, if I've worked with different hospitals, um, the, about a third of primary care uh, clinicians really believe that uh, this is going to be reduce a lot of the independence of primary care across the country because they're going to be absorbed by others. Um, I know there's messaging that said as you think about new initiatives you might want to be aware of, but overall, the, all of these I think are beginning to kind of frame up the situation where primary care is under the vice in a pretty important way. And and I don't think a lot of the funding in the CARES Act or other places has gone to them. So it, it's created a financial burden, but also just a work burden because a lot of these uh, primary care clinicians, they picked up the bags, they went into the hospitals, they helped out as much as they can. Uh, and unfortunately, they're, they're, their very business is at stake now. So uh, it it is a, I, I think we're also, I don't want to put it all in dim light though. I mean, virtual health is also turning into a, a, a great thing in some places, right? We're starting to see the, realize the benefits and downfalls of virtual care um, in that in that space. So doctors are reporting what, it, what it's like to see people in their houses, to see their medicines, to see their home environments. It, th those are visits and things you just cannot pick up on in a traditional visit. So there, there maybe are some benefits from this. I don't want to think it's all doom and gloom at all, but like I think PCPs uh, are worried across the board and that's what we need to be aware of. Yeah, and, and just, to, just to let people know this, the, um, the study that we're referring to uh, updates their results every week. And I think the latest data comes from people responding um, between May 1 and May 4. So not that long ago, not something where there'd be a dramatic change between today and, and that data. Um, obviously, things change over time, um, but not always in the way we think. So um, just because we're moving kind of out of COVID doesn't necessarily mean um, that the data trends the way we think it might. So so make sure you look at the data and understand where it's at. But I think all of this would be relevant today. Um, I just want to point that out. And I think the other thing, too, Jared, you mentioned, um, we touched on this Monday, uh, the CARES Act, almost certainly, though I have not read the whole thing, um, is not something that's accessible by um, independent practices for sure. And I've seen stories that allude to uh, 
those types of practices having to try to uh, get support through PPP, right? So the, um, through the, whatever the acronym for that is, but that's for small businesses where they would get um, a forgivable loan if they use 75% of it toward payroll. Um, and if they didn't, if they could use it for whatever they wanted, it became a 1% interest loan. Um, but that's where a lot of smaller practices are having to go for any kind of support. And we know that that has not been um, the most seamless of options for businesses to, to go after. So I think that just shows the, the difficulty for a lot of these folks um, in getting what they need. Um, and, th and then let's talk a little bit about the actual care that's delivered through, through primary care practices um, and how that's being impacted by COVID. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, not to oversimplify and create an analogy metaphor simile, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's one of the three. Um, uh, you know, our, our entire healthcare system really is built on a, you know, it's an, an early detector system, right? Like, detect early, treat early, um, save as many lives as possible. It's, it's a pretty simple approach, and it's one that is, I mean, to all of our benefit. Um, but you start looking at the screening numbers, and uh, Epic, uh, we, I think, referenced this last time I got to join, um, the Epic Health Resource Network put out this great piece on uh, cancer screenings, showing the cumulative drop. Um, what a great insight to know that, that cancer screenings have dropped somewhere between uh, 86 and 94%. Um, huge decreases in cancer screenings. And that's for all, all the routine cancers. We know we're going to pick up breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer, those types of pieces. So uh, with that kind of drop, we, we know that there's just going to be, I mean, not, not, to, not to extend, but like but that has an impact, right? And, and as folks think about going back to the doctor, I think we're seeing probably the folks who are willing to get care immediately be the folks who have something pretty severe. The routine care will be delayed much farther than I think we're used to for what we're thinking on the hospital side in terms of surgery. Um, so, and I, I do think there will be an increase in visits. The visits will, and this is reported in the primary care collaborative survey as well, but like they expect to see this increase, but it'll be mostly focused on chronic conditions, preventative substances and mental health needs. So the, the type of visit will be very different. The question is what happens to our screening capacity? Are we able to screen enough people to make sure that they don't, they don't end up with those, those uh, I mean, life-threatening conditions really? Yeah, it is. It's something that you don't hear a lot about. I mean, certainly we've heard about um, there's been, there's been, more than enough focus on the idea that people have missed out on critical care during the COVID crisis because hospitals and health systems had to shut down those services. And so unless it was an emergent, unless it was a heart attack, people were putting off significant procedures, even life-threatening procedures, um, either because they couldn't get in or they self-selected that I don't want to go into a hospital and catch COVID, um, which is where we saw dramatic decreases, right, in ED visits for stroke and heart care, really concerning. But there hasn't been as much about this more top of the funnel um, diversion of care, right? So the, the way you put it, the, the, the whole system is kind of an early detection um, structure, right? And, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But one of the things that Jared, you and I talked about was, that is true, though in this country, we put far less emphasis on that than most industrialized advanced countries, uh, especially when you look at it in terms of public health. So many countries um, spend a lot of, invest a lot in public health to try to help prevent issues 
so that there are less acute issues down the road, which is a fundamental reason why our healthcare system is more expensive than others. It's maybe the number one reason if you, if you read some reports, um, because we don't do, we invest far less publicly in that, which means more people go a lot longer before they get the care they need, which means they become acute uh, more often, right? And so we're already kind of behind the eight ball that way. And now we're gonna see less of that kind of preventative um, as you've seen. And, and the other part of this too, I think and we'll touch on it a little bit more is the fears that people have and how they relate to this. So let's, let's save that. Um, but obviously this has a ripple effect, right? So later visits lead to later diagnosis. Later diagnosis, as we're talking about, means high acuity conditions um, are going to be pushed down the road. Yeah, it's it seems maybe simple to say, but I mean, this is the worry, right? Like because every month, I mean, it it I mean, I, I'll have a I use doctor quotes here because I think it's better for me to use their words, and I'm not a medical expert like as we preface for this, but I feel patients scared because of COVID nineteen are not coming to hospitals, and that is putting pushing them from early cancer to late stages. Stage one and two can become three and four. It can become incurable if you don't act upon it. And that's, I think, the worry, right? Like it's, it's more like, like, like early detection does save lives. I mean, we, it's the reason. It's the premise of almost all modern healthcare systems uh, at the national level. So I, I think this is probably the biggest concern is that we're just going to see this increasing acuity of care the longer this delay is. And if we think the surgical delay was, was if we think surgery was delayed a little bit, I can't imagine how long the primary care delay will be if people feel comfortable going back into their doctor, not to mention the fact that there have been so many displaced visits for a month and a half, right? Like the demand pent up, like, and those are going to take time to reschedule and fill everyone back in. And so there's just going to be this, this big movement of volume over the next, and I have to assume it's going to be five to six months for us to catch up in primary care. And hopefully people will feel comfortable enough to come back into the doctor. But I'll kind of hit in this other point as well um, is that we're, you know, Right now, I think our hospitals are working through the supply of patients who were already ready uh, to get care, right? They had already been diagnosed. They've already gone through this process. Um, and so if we think about that, uh, it kind of sets up this concern that there's going to be this like loss of uh, setup for later treatment. And that's probably the, the, the even bigger concern for hospitals right now is without these primary care doctors uh, teeing up, we're going to lose some of those folks in the long term. Um, for, for treatment, uh, when they, which they desperately need. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of two dynamics that we have been ta- touching on in this podcast and in other ways for research that, that kind of take a spin when we're talking about it in terms of preventative care, primary care, right? So one is the operational challenges um, that we're seeing health systems have in reopening. So just it's slower than, than folks would want. Um, there's a question where they're going to be able to get to 100% capacity and when because of social distancing, because of cleaning, um, because of PPE, all those kind of things. Um, and so the emphasis is rightfully so on the people who most need care, as it should be, on patient acuity. But that just accentuates the problem of delaying some of this other stuff we're talking about right now. The flip side of it is another challenge is people wanting to come back into the hospital. And that's, that's a little bit of what you just quoted, um, Jared. But that quote even talks about um, a serious situation, right? So cancer. Um, and so we're seeing people coming back into the hospital that they still have fears, but there's a, there's a risk calculation there, right? So if I've got stage two cancer and I have fears of coming to the hospital, it's more likely that I'll, I'll, I'll overcome those fears to come in and get the care because it's so life-threatening. If it's my annual physical and I have fears, eh, 
Why, why would I, why would I be brave to come in for an annual physical? Why would I be brave to use my own example? If you can see my, my bandaid on here, which is a biopsy for skin cancer, right? You're, if you've ever had that, you have to go in once a year just to get checked, right? Why in the world would I go do that? If I have fears of COVID, um, I can put that off, right? But if I put it off, I might miss something. And so nothing could become stage one, right? So it's even up funnel from that quote. Uh, and I think that's, that's really what we're talking about. It's almost in a way, we're going to use a lot of metaphors, similes, and analogies here. Um, it's almost like a healthcare crisis 3.0. If 1.0 was COVID, and we're still dealing with that, and 2.0 was the emergent, urgent issues that people missed out on because they couldn't get in because of COVID. And, and that's you know, like strokes dropping in New York, you know, strokes presenting in EDs dropping by like 50%. That's healthcare crisis two. Healthcare crisis three is the idea that a lot of this upfront preventative diagnostic stuff is gonna go undone or it's gonna be pushed off and that's just gonna increase issues down the road. Yeah, I, this is, I think, the critical, because it, it doesn't, it, when I say this is the straw that can break the camel's back in a couple of ways, right? Like, it's like, like, think about what's going to happen to all those patients who don't get care, right? Like, the acuity is going to increase, chronic conditions are going to go unmitigated, right? Like, and they they could see more complex, hopefully people will take more responsibility, maybe that'll have the opposite effect, that, that, that it could definitely happen. Um, and we've already talked about the need for mental health increasing. So, all of those coming from that. But I think the surgical piece is still maybe the most important to realize is that we, we've, we've emptied out a container. We will, we're emptying out a container of, of, of demand, right? And at some point we have to figure out how do you, you know, it, from a hospital perspective, it's how do you make sure people are getting the care they need? How do you make sure specialist visits are continuing? Because it sounds like there will be less of those visits overall. Um, not to mention the impact of just people not having insurance I mean, it's gonna delay that. That itself will delay things as well, and beyond just the general fears that we see. So, um, hopefully, I, I think with the right type of messaging, though, the right types of tools, we can probably get to a good spot with marketers supporting some of that. I don't think it's all. We, I don't mm -hmm. think we can fix the problem, but I do think there are some things we can do. Yeah, marketers can play a huge role in this because it is about educating people. It's about making sure they understand that the things that they think might be commonplace, might be routine. Um, are still critical, like an annual physical is a, is a great example of that. Um, you know, again, to kind of beat a metaphor analogy to death, we talk about the acuity funnel um, and primary care and, and preventative care. That's the top of the funnel. Uh, and we're, it's kind of like we're turning the spigot off, which means there's going to be less flowing down to that mid-funnel surgical care. Or another way to look at it is we call it kind of the disruptive domino effect. Because if you, if you make this as simple as possible, somebody has a, a, a potential need. They think, hmm, I've got something going on here. Maybe they go to a website and they take an online screening, right, an assessment. So there goes that domino. And that flags something and they go in for a consult and there's that domino. And then that leads to like a CD a CD, a, a CR, a, what am I trying to say? A scan, CT, it's one of those. A CT scan, that knocks that domino over, which leads to surgery. You remove some of those initial dominoes and that surgery domino is still standing. Um, so both from a clinical standpoint, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Financially too, though, I think that's what we're talking about. That's, a, that's gonna be a challenge to ensuring that we get up to, to normal capacity as quickly as we'd like. So quickly, Jared, hit on a couple other things marketers can be doing. 
Yeah, so I think this is detection preservation or demand, and ultimately like for us it's demand preservation, right? Like people won't demand services if they don't have detection. I think that's a, a law we can kind of like rely on in this case. Um, so first off, how to support your primary care clinics. I mean, making sure they're doing outreach to patients, continuing the push for people to come in for annual visits or finding ways to do that. Uh, there's all kinds of great techniques out there. People doing wait, uh, no, no waiting rooms. They're just going directly to rooms, uh, making sure that technology is available or pushing on your hospital to have that digital experience enabled. Uh, a really, maybe a, a straightforward thing. But the other thing I'll mention is this is a little bit like demand generation and in our, the way we think about pieces. We might want to increase self-screening, right? Like we might want to in this period and say, we understand you're not going to come in, but we might want to say it's it's time for you to start doing some of the screening yourself. If you if you feel a lump, raise it now. We'll get you in on a visit. Give tell people how to uh, use virtual visits to have the first conversation, mm -hmm. right? So make sure that if there are people who are worried about indicators, that they have a clear path into the system, so they have the ability to raise their hand and say, "I need to see a doctor because I'm more worried than I normally am." And uh, again, you know, it's going to create you know, definitely some false positives, but better to have checked on those pieces than to have delayed care that could be really important life-saving. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great, great conversation, Jared, as usual when you're here. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me again. Absolutely. Chase, sir, as always, thank you. Absolutely. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know now, put it in the chat function. Um, you can email me at cab at thinkrevivehealth.com. Um, we definitely want to be covering the things that you're interested in. Speaking of that, we have Jarrett Lewis back. Jarrett is from Public Opinion Strategies. He's been on the show before. Um, they are a research company and they provide a lot of great intel. Uh, and we're going to dive deep into some of the things they're seeing on a national level, both healthcare and outside of healthcare, because we can learn um, from what's happening beyond our own industry as well. So um, come tomorrow for that. Remember to visit our website and our COVID-19 hub at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. Um, check out iTunes to subscribe. Let others know about the podcast. And as always, if you're in marketing communications at a hospital or health system, hang in there. Keep up the great work. Your organizations need it. Your patients need it. We all need it to get through this crisis. We will be here with you every day as long as we're dealing with this at the at the unfortunate level we are now. Uh, every weekday, we'll, we'll have this show going on. So thanks for joining us today, and we will see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.